in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're going to talk about under the sea. Life is better down where it's wetter. Take it from me. Jonathan just got back from Disney World, and no wonders really never see. I'm still there, really. Part of me will always still be there. Um, yeah, uh, so we're talking about underwater hotels. We just uh, thought, yeah, you know, it's one of those things where I just went on a vacation. I, I went to Disney. That's got a lot of underwater theming and various parts of the park. And then I went on a cruise, which happens to have a lot to do with water. Uh, I don't know I if you're familiar. I would imagine. So. I'm actually not personally familiar with yeah, cruises. Uh, I've never been on one. They kind of scare me. Uh, uh, well, we went through Hurricane Karen, so that was exciting. I'll tell you more about that after the show. Anyway, uh, it was uh, it was actually a, a very interesting experience. Uh, nothing negative to say about that. But it brought me to think about you know some of the more exotic kind of vacation destinations. And I remember reading... Back when I first started at How Stuff Works, I remember reading about these proposed underwater luxury hotels. We're talking like five-star hotels with all the amenities. But Partially underwater, submerged. Or, right. or totally submerged in the case of one of them, which uh, the one I'm specifically thinking of, the Poseidon, we'll talk about in uh, a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, yeah, they started planning that in 2000 or 2001, 2001, I think. Yeah. And... It still doesn't exist. Yeah. But As it turns out, when we started doing research for this, we were like, oh, none of these really exist yet. There are a few that you can stay in that are real. Right. They're not the super luxury hotels, though. No. Oh, there's one that is a super luxury hotel that does have an underwater room. Restaurant. And, and there's one that has the underwater room because there's the Atlantis. Oh, right. But uh, it's not a completely submerged hotel the way the Poseidon is supposed to be. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are we are getting way ahead of ourselves. Um, let us let us start. Well, OK. What, do, do you want to do you want to talk about the problems here? Yeah, let's talk about the problems. OK, so, uh, Lauren, uh, if I were to tell you that uh, you are going to go and sleep with the fishes, you would probably think I was going to put a hit on you, you know, Godfather style. Uh, but if I were to say, no, 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 I mean that there's this hotel that's underwater where you can fall asleep underwater and wake up to looking outside at all these gorgeous fish, you'd realize that there are some issues you've got to work out to before anyone is comfortable staying in that space. I would I would ask, how am I going to breathe? I enjoy breathing. That's it's something I do every day. Top of the list is the breathing problem. Yeah, as it turns out, uh, don't know if you guys know this, we don't breathe water so well. Uh, we like air that has a mixture of some pretty typical gases that you find on our atmosphere. It's very convenient for us, seeing as how this is where we live. Uh, but if you go underwater, you know, you get that challenge. So you have to find a way of supplying breathable atmosphere. Uh, you have to find a way of maintaining pressure uh, and and to prevent fr- water pressure from breaking the... The, the, the confines of your habitat right. and yeah, flooding and killing you. Because sea above re, you can't breathe water. So Yeah, yeah. So, and if you're deep enough, then the pressure alone could kill you. Although, for the habitats we're talking about, uh, you're in semi-shallow water. Shallow, not to, not like you're, you know, wading around in it, but we're talking maybe 30 to 50 feet deep, something along those lines. Not, you know, a thousand meters below the surface of the ocean. Right. This is partially because water exerts more pressure on us than air at, at atmosphere pressure. Right. Does. Yeah. So the deeper you go, the more pressure you feel. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. 
we talked before the podcast, you have not seen The Abyss, right? No, I have not. So in The Abyss, you have these characters who are going on these deep, deep, deep ocean uh, uh, missions. And at one point, they start to experiment with a liquid oxygen. The reason why they're using a liquid oxygen is because if they were to go out in a diving suit under the immense pressure that they would be under as soon as they left the confines of their submersible, uh, all that air would end up uh, dissolving into their blood and they die. So they they have come up with this liquid stuff that would allow them to breathe. Well, we don't really have the liquid stuff that we can do like on the level that they did in that movie. Oh, right. There, there is research with liquid forms of I, I do not have the name of it right in front of me, but it's uh, some kind of fluorocarbon, actually, which which is weird and interesting to me. But it's, it's a pressurized liquidish gas. Yeah. And that's odd. Very strange. It Don't know how that would feel. Doesn't seem comfortable to me personally, but yeah, right. So, so the problem when you go deep enough, I mean, once you're getting down to like 300 feet or 90 meters, something like that, some of the gases that you're breathing, especially nitrogen, are going to dissolve into your blood and tissues, right. which is okay for a short period of time, but a, it's very bad in the long term, and B, when you go back up to the surface, if you don't take steps to decompress, it can turn back into nitrogen bubbles and forming in yeah in, in your tissue in, in your tissue and blood and make you extremely sick. Yeah, you get it's you called get, it's called the bends or yeah. decompression sickness. Right, and it can be deadly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's we're talking serious stuff here. Right? right. It sounds like when you hear like, oh, he's got the bends, you might get the. Idea that like, is uh, he queasy? Yeah, like, just I guess did you did you just eat something? Is it kind that of was bad? like a noodle? What's right, exactly. On, right? What's going on? Are you a crazy straw? What happened? No, it's very serious stuff. It's actually uh, one of those things that divers have to consider. It's when if you've ever been diving, then you know all about this. If you've ever heard people talk about how you have to take dives in very gradual stages, you can't just swim straight down to the bottom of the ocean floor in a very deep area and then swim and then right, back, right up. back up. Yeah, right. you, you have to you have to be much more um, careful or else you can suffer from it. And that's a huge part of your training when you go scuba diving. Right. And you have to occasionally go into something like a decompression chamber where mm-hmm. you, the, the pressure inside the chamber is controlled so that it will allow you to get back to the surface pressure. Gradually enough. And then you can go outside and not not suffer from decompression sickness. Mm-hmm. So that's clearly one issue is you got to figure out not just the breathing, but also how do you do this in a way where people are not going to suffer decompression sickness as soon as they transfer from being underwater to being within the, uh, the, the hotel environment or the habitat environment. Right. So, and so there are two ways that you can pressurize an underwater cabin and, and those are two, the water pressure that's surrounding the habitat, in which case you're going to want to use it in only very shallow situations. And again, have some kind of decompression process if, if necessary, mm-hmm. or to pressurize this container to the surface atmosphere using airlocks. Right. And that would be like a submarine. A submarine is pressurized right. to the surface temperature, which is why when a submarine uh, comes back up, it's not that, you know, suddenly all the sailors on board have to go through a decompression chamber or else they'll all uh, suffer from the bends. It's because that submarine itself is pressurized to the surface pressure. It's similar to what we see with airplanes, too, the pressurized cabins and airplanes to maintain mm-hmm. a certain within a certain parameter, uh, a closeness to the surface pressure so that you don't have these problems that you would suffer otherwise. Now, all of what we know about this pressurization and uh, the, the the gases that you can breathe when you're underwater started the research really started in about the 1950s the the principle of saturation diving which is that prolonged exposure to 
uh, to pressurized gases that's mm-hmm. going to build up nitrogen in your system was proposed by Captain George F. Bond, who was a U.S. Navy physician. And that's what really kicked off the ability for us to start doing research with with underwater habitats. And this was becoming important because of a little thing called the Cold War in the space race. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I mean, also environmentalism was was on the rise and people were becoming really interested in all of the life in oceans. We wanted to study that. Yeah, that was still... I would say that that really got a lot of uh, traction in the 70s, apart from one specific person who, I mean, anyone who's familiar with marine biology knows the name Jacques Cousteau, right? Right. Cousteau and, was certainly instrumental in And he in was working in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So his work in the 60s certainly uh, went a far way to giving us a greater appreciation and understanding of underwater environments. And in fact, uh, um he started looking into an underwater habitat, right? Oh, right. In 1962, he he started launching experiments in these pressurized underwater trips. Uh, he created the Conshelf One, which was a freestanding structure uh, down about 36 feet under under the water, mm-hmm. and and divers lived in it for about a week. So 1962, that's pretty that's that's fairly impressive. I mean, considering that you know you you weren't going to have uh, many Apollo astronauts going up until. I guess I guess about that time. Well, you, they're starting the training programs anyway. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the late 60s that you really got them into uh, going out into to orbit. But yeah, so so you've got this this underwater habitat staying at, there for about a week, which that plays into our discussion on underwater hotels. That's, you know, a typical vacation stay is a, is a week long. So it's funny to think that scientific research here, specifically looking into marine environments and marine life, is somewhat uh, paving the way underwater, as it were, uh, to underwater tourism mm-hmm. and underwater hotels. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there was another man named Edwin A. Link, who was, um, who, who, who was another oceanographer who was working in the same field at the time. One of his projects called The Man in the Sea would, in 1964, get adopted by the U.S. Navy. And uh, that would turn into the Sea Lab program that you guys might have heard of. Yeah, I, I, I remember that show on Cartoon Network. No, no different, different, different sea lab. Although oh. they did have at some point a trained dolphin that would run errands for them. Wow, really? <laughs> Golly, I, I don't know what to say about that. That was that was Sea Lab Two uh, in 1965. Right, and so then you've also got. Uh, I mean, Cousteau continued work of creating the Conshell Three. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the more sea labs, as I recall. So we have this development where we're learning more and more about how to create. Habitats that can safely house people for uh, a certain length of time. Increasingly underwater. long periods yeah. of time. Throughout throughout the 60s, we went from that first initial week to up to a month and more. So, Right, right. There was um, there's one in particular I want to talk about, but uh, I, I want to I want to give you the opportunity to get through the 60s and 70s first before I jump into it, because I'm going to talk about the NOAA one. OK, I think. Go go for it. Just, All right, just sure. Do it. All right. So so again, sixties and seventies, we see more and more of these same sort of environments used for, or these habitats used for uh, scientific research. NOAA establishes one called Aquarius off uh, the coast of Saint Croix, and uh, Aquarius is one of the two underwater habitats that are still really actively used these days. Um, the other one is now called Jules. But it's and it's now privately owned. It's now privately owned and operated as an underwater hotel. But it didn't start off that way, 
right? It started, right. It started off as one of these research habitats. And, and all of these that we've been talking about have been research habitats, you know, kind of based on ocean life, but also kind of based on exactly how can we do this crazy keeping people underwater thing. Right, right. So the Jules Undersea Lodge was named after, of course, Jules Verne. Jules Verne and his 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Right. Although this one is not 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Certainly not. It is less than that. Yeah, significantly. Uh, it's. Uh, I think it's 21 feet below the surface. Exactly. It is 21 feet below the surface. It's the world's first underwater hotel. Uh, it was originally called La Chalupa. La Chalupa Research Lab, yes. Yeah. Uh, it was reno- It was created in the 1970s and then renovated into a hotel in the 1980s. Right. And you, it, it's it's scuba focused. It's really for scuba enthusiasts. I think you don't have to have scuba cert- certification to go, but they will make you take a training course just to make sure that you're dive down because you have to scuba dive into the hotel. Yeah, that's the only way to get there. Mm-hmm. The the way it works is that they have a wet room. That's mm-hmm. that's called a wet room because that's where you go to when you when you come into the hotel and that's where you end up storing all your scuba gear right. and all and your suits. Entrance is what's called a moon pool, which I just love how romantic and lovely that name is. Yeah, um, it's a, which it's, is really a hole cut in the floor. <laughs> it's much nicer than hole cut in the floor as names go. Yeah. And uh and right, it's it's compressed to, I think to the to the water around you. Yeah. So you shouldn't stay in there very, very long. Right. Probably. And the idea is that you you swim underneath the structure. You come up through the moon pool. You pull yourself out, kind of like pulling yourself out of a swimming pool. And then you are inside the hotel. And, uh, you know, again, it's it's that that water pressure specifically, because if you were at surface pressure, then you'd have to worry about decompression. Uh, you can then take off all your gear, take a hot shower and then move into one of the other two rooms inside the Jules uh, uh, motel is what I've seen it referred to by other underwater hotel companies. Uh, it is, if you want to know some statistics, it's 50 feet long, which is about 15 meters. It's 20 feet wide. That's six meters and 11 feet tall, which is about 3.4 meters. It uh, was, uh, it's off the coast of Key Largo mm-hmm. in the Florida Keys, uh, made famous, of course, by the Beach Boys in their song. Anyway, uh, so they, you, uh, you know, like you said, Lauren, you have to get there by diving. Uh, whether or not you're certified doesn't matter. They can put you through that course, but you have to get there by diving. They don't have some other means of getting you there. Uh, I, but- I, I think that originally they had let guests go down uh, breathing through a tube, uh, a, a pipe that was piping oxygen down from the so surface. So sort of like snuba diving, which is a, com- a combination of snorkeling and scuba. Oh, right. But due to safety concerns, they they moved it to a full yeah, scuba experience. Yeah, that, that sounds like that was a good idea. Yeah. Moving it. Um, it's, uh, you know, once you get in there, you've got some interesting amenities. They have windows that look out. They're 42 inches in diameter or... Um, uh, so wait, wait, I've, I wrote down how many, how many centimeters, 107 centimeters. Uh, I'm looking out for you guys. I just, I can't make the conversion in my head yet. I'm not that good. Um, other amenities include things like air conditioning and an entertainment center. The picture I saw was, <laughs> was an old, uh, uh, cathode ray tube television showing, I think it was the abyss actually <laughs> on pause. Um, but anyway, uh, it's, it, the, the, you also can have meals delivered. <laughs> down there, including from the Tower of Pizza um, restaurant. Uh, I know because I actually looked into this to see, you know, I was curious to see how much it was. Did you see how much it cost to stay there? Uh, I did not. Or if I did, I did not make a note about okay. it. So uh, it's really, you know, when you think about it, you're staying underneath the ocean. So first of all, when we're going to talk about these other underwater hotels in a moment, 
we're talking about super luxurious experiences, or at least that's the idea. And so they tend to be pretty pricey. Yes. Uh, with one in particular really breaking the bank on a per night stay. But, uh, the jewels under sea lodge, if it's, if it's a party of two, it's $800 per night. So that's a party of two. That's expensive, that's but you're expensive like, for a hotel, but you're talking about but... being underwater. It's a unique experience mm-hmm. right now, right? So, uh, if it's three, to, but, but it gets lower per person if you add more people. So if you have three to four people staying there, it ends up being $350 per person instead of 400 per person. Uh, if you have five to six people staying there, it's $300 per person. However, you are then staying with five to six people in a tin can. Well, you know, not all of us hate everybody, Lauren. So, you know, we can get along, some of us, with lots of people in an enclosed space. Uh, this open floor plan that we have in our office is really keyed up us on our anxiety levels and aggression levels have gone off the charts. I have to say I'm pretty cranky. Yeah, this is only the first day, Lauren. We've got lots more of these to look forward to. Sucker, you have to deal with me. There's some behind the scenes stuff from uh, How Stuff Works right there for you guys. So anyway, uh, yeah, not not so expensive, comparatively speaking. It is very expensive for a hotel room, but for a hotel room underwater, as it turns out, not so expensive. Um so that's that's kind of the first one I wanted to talk about because it was a direct descendant. In fact, it was it one of these underwater research mm-hmm. habitats. Yeah. Uh, for us to talk about the other underwater hotels, the one that exists and then the several that are proposed, uh, before we do that, I want to take a quick break and thank our sponsor. All right. So now we're going to talk about some uh, other underwater hotels. There is one other one that we can talk about that's actually running. It's working. You can go and you can book a room there if you wanted to, or mm-hmm. the room there. There's only one. There's only the one. This is called the Utter Inn. It is in Sweden on Lake... Something or other. I can't pronounce it. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> Lake, Lake Malaren. Let's let's say that is okay. that is the English-looking pronunciation of that name. It is probably completely incorrect because, as we have previously learned in uh, the Pirat Biran episode... Sweden be crazy, yo. Yeah, we, we, our, our mouths don't make those sounds. Yes. Uh, utter in, obviously, that, uh, that means otter in. It's utter Does, is otter. Yep. Cool. Yep. Cool. So it's about otters. It was, uh, created as an art project in the year 2000 by, uh, Mikhail Genberg. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, so, so it's got, it's got an above, above surface part and a below surface part. Right. Above, above ground, above surface. I keep wanting to say ground. Yeah. There's, it's kind of like a red shed with a deck around it. Yeah. It looks like, it looks like it's got a little floating, dock mm-hmm. that's got nothing but a little tiny red shack on it. Mm-hmm. So if you were looking at it just from the surface, you'd think that is the weirdest looking thing I've ever seen. It's just floating out there on the lake. And oh, it's, what's that very small barge with, with a very small woodshed on it? Yeah. Um, it, it does have, you know, a little bit of a deck for sun chairs or something. You can fit a good few sun chairs out sure. there. And then there's a tube leading below the surface. You can go down a ladder through this tube into what I believe is a single room. It does not look terribly roomy. No, uh, I, th- I think it's a room. It has two beds and a few picture windows that will let you look out into the lake. Yeah. As of as of 2013, it listed for um I think a thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars for seven nights. Yeah, Is for that... one week stay, seventeen fifty. Yeah. Okay. So, so not bad. It's yeah. actually cheaper than the uh, the jewels one if you're looking to stay for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, uh, but however. <laughs> You're pretty much left up on your own here. Uh, you can opt in to getting food delivered to you for an extra charge. Where I think it's, uh, I think it's rowboat uh, distance to the yeah. They give you an inflatable canoe where you can you can row 
back to shore so that you can go and get things like food or entertainment. It is it is pretty impressively creepy looking, actually, I have to say. I, I was looking at some pictures of the interior and uh, the, the, the lake is a very living lake. And so it's a little bit briny. It's kind of grayish and greenish. Lots of algae, lots of fish. Yeah, I, it gets very dark at night and I'm sort of uncomfortable with that. Yeah, the idea that you yeah, you're not getting any starlight or moonlight down there. Right. I mean, it was same sort of thing with the Jules one, right? Like the Jules uh hotel, the if you ever see pictures of it, you see these big round windows and it's looking out into very green water. Mm-hmm. You know, and it it's it's not like it's not the kind of don't think about those Caribbean beaches or the ones in, you see in Southeast Asia where it's this, that crystal blue water. It's not like that. So anyway, the, the those are the two that you could actually book a room at right now and go and stay in right now. The Jewels and the Utter. But there for, are, for, for a room underwater, there are a couple other hotels that do have portions yeah, of something underwater. Like the Atlantis Hotel in right. Dubai specifically. There are two Atlantis resorts. There's one in Dubai and there's one in the Bahamas. If you ever look at this thing, it, it looks like two giant wings, uh, and the, the center of it, um, has sort of a, an outline that looks like an arabesque, uh, tower with, uh, sort of a bridging kind of section on the very top. That'll come in, uh, into play in just a second, cause I've got a tangent that I have to talk about. But anyway, uh, it has two suites, the Poseidon and the Neptune. Very clever. Uh, the Poseidon and Neptune suites are multi-floor suites. And part of it is above the level of a lagoon that it looks out over. But the bottom floor is actually under the the surface of the water line and has windows that look out into the lagoon. Okay. So uh, according to one picture, although I couldn't find any confirmation on the actual Atlantis site, it was one of those pictures where I, I wondered if it was a an artist rendition or if it was actually this was really taken inside the the suite in one of them it showed a bedroom where the entire bedroom was submerged in the lagoon so you you are looking out like when you look up from your bed you're looking at the aquarium essentially or in the inside the lagoon so you're looking at all the sea life swimming around you uh, none of the pictures i saw on the actual site reflected that specific setup. So I don't know that that's really how it turned out. That might have been one of those things like, here's what it's going to look like. And what it really looks like is, no, you've got a window that looks out into the lagoon, which still is gorgeous. Right. But it's not the same effect, obviously. No. Um, Anyway, these two suites are a little a little expensive if you want to stay at uh, either the Poseidon or the Neptune suite in the Atlantis Resort in Dubai. For one night... Uh, that'll set you back $8,835 Woo. for one night stay. Dubai. Yeah. It's not the most expensive suite in the hotel. I, I'm, and I'm sure it's not by far the most expensive suite in Dubai. The most expensive suite in the Atlantis Resort in Dubai is, remember when I said I had that bridging kind of section that's at the very top of that arabesque tower? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that bridging section is actually a suite. It's oh, called wow. the Royal Bridge Suite. And one night stay will set you back about $37,800 for one night. So that's a good salary right there for one night stay. Yeah, that's that's much like many people's yearly kind yeah. of. Yeah. yeah, to stay for one night. Yeah, anyway, uh, clearly there's a section of the world that lives in a different bracket than I do. Uh, and uh, it's still... Pretty interesting, but it's not the same thing as the submerged hotel idea that no. we were promised. No, and uh, well, there's there's also a restaurant that you can go to in a Hilton hotel mm-hmm. out in 
Maldives, Mal- Maldives, yeah. Maldives yeah. Islands. Yeah. Yes, um, that's the Conrad Maldives Rangali Island. It's it's owned uh, again by the by the Hilton Hotel chain. Um, the hotel itself is spread over two islands connected by a bridge. Uh, most of it is topside, but it does have this this undersea restaurant that's available. Um, it it's only has 14 chairs, but you can also rent it out for events for an undisclosed amount of money. Yeah, undisclosed huge amount of money. Meaning sure. huge. Yeah, right. the, the, the pictures of this are very similar to what I was talking about, about that bedroom where mm-hmm. it's the, you know, cause the, the, the ceiling itself is also made out of acrylic. It's this arc. There's an arch all the way through the, the dining room where you're surrounded on, uh, both sides and above. Right. By the, it's like a 270 degree. Yeah. View so you're, you're, you. you're looking around underwater. It, it looks very much to me like the um, there's a tunnel in the Georgia Aquarium in downtown mm-hmm. Atlanta that is a very similar view. Yeah. Or um, maybe if you guys have seen uh, a really terrific Bioshock cosplay of a big daddy and little sister, it took place in, this, in the in Georgia this Aquarium. Yeah. Or have you seen the documentary Jaws 3, which takes place in SeaWorld and they walk through some of the SeaWorld uh, tunnels? Same sort of thing, except, you know, wider. Uh, so that kind of brings us to some of the ones that have been proposed, but as far as we can tell, have yet to be built. In some cases, have yet to have any work done on them whatsoever. In most cases, have yet to have any work done on them. And uh, that that I think we should probably go ahead and just start with Poseidon, because that was the one that, that I first heard of and was so impressed by and could not wait to hear about it. It was originally supposed to open in 2008? 2009, I think. Okay, 2009. Uh, it, as far as I know, no work has really been done on the, the, uh, like they haven't installed any of the actual units. Now the Poseidon approach was really kind of a cool idea and it may still be a cool idea, like as in it may still be built, but the idea is that they would have an underwater corridor that was the, the connecting, uh, uh, like, like permanently fixed corridor underwater. And yeah. then the suites would be connected to it, but detachable and surfaceable in case of either emergency or repair. Right. So uh, so each suite could be built completely separately. Uh, they're neutrally buoyant, so you can move them fairly easily through the water, either up or down. You bring them down to the right level. Uh, you connect it to the corridors. Uh, the corridor has a, a sealed door, and so does the suite. So, there, you so there's two an su- airlock, and exactly. you can therefore use, uh, you, you, you can pressurize it to surface pressure. Right. And so the idea is that you could be uh, uh, transported by submersible down to the corridor. You get out of the submersible into the corridor. You go to your room. The entire time you are under surface pressure, you never have that decompression issue. Um, and you have this gorgeous view where you can uh, control the privacy of your room through LCD uh, screens. So you could actually make them opaque or transparent and then either, you know, look at just a little section of the water or say, you know, modesty be darned. I'm going to turn all of the walls into windows for right now. And, uh, just, you know, any divers are swimming by are just going to have to, they're just going to have to live with the way I, I hang, hang out in my <laughs> hotel room. Um, uh, yeah, those that th- that would be some four inch thick plexiglass windows that yep. it's planning on using in uh, twenty four underwater suites specifically. I've heard right. Um, construction was supposed to be in Portland, Oregon, and you know, or, you know, it's still in the works. It, right. As far as I can tell, it has not started. Again, they're they're gonna um lead it over to Fiji when it's done hypothetically. And it was announced in April 2013 that they're scouting for a second location, that they have so much interest yeah. that they want to build two. However, also that the same year, 
uh, a Swiss firm called Strategic Hotel Consulting estimated that the cost of one suite, building one suite, not staying there, just building it, uh-huh. would be $11.4 million oh. for one suite. So that could end up being a huge issue. If that actually is an accurate estimation, then that could really cause problems with them building this and you know affording to build a full hotel. So we're still waiting to find out if that's in fact going to happen. Um, there's some other cool ideas that are part of this hotel. They're, they're talked about each room would also have underwater lights so you could light up the scene around you at night and see the fishies swimming around at night. Also, they would have push button fish feeders. So if you wanted to feed the fishies and, and or attract more fishies around your window, you push a button and it shoots food out. And so this, you can. I, I, the, OK, this sounds gorgeous and wonderful. And the cynic in me is saying that it is going to be awful for the local ecosystem. You Just might really see a terrible. lot of obese fish. Yeah. Swimming around. <laughs> like, I just, oh, yeah. I've never seen a flounder round before. A really delicate balance. Oh, okay. No, no, there's there's certainly some things that you got to take into consideration. Although I suppose just the mere, you know, anchoring of a giant corridor and 24 submersible rooms underwater would probably screw stuff up. There's probably a a minor environmental impact there. Yeah, there's also, uh, uh, you know, it's not just made of acrylic, obviously. It's also made of steel. That steel's about an inch thick. Uh, It's about 25 millimeters for you guys out there uh, who don't follow the imperial system like I do. Um, then we've got uh, a couple of other hotels we can talk about. I mean, there's you know more stuff we can say about the Poseidon, but the biggest thing is that we're still waiting on the Poseidon. But we're we still don't really have that others. much information on it yet. Yeah, um, China has plans to build one into the cliffside of an abandoned rock quarry in Shanghai. Wow. Have I you heard about this one? Not at all. This is the uh, Shimao Wonderland, and it would have two submerged floors. The the rock quarry is is partially uh flooded mm-hmm. and so so two submerged floors and then uh, you know down there they would have a sports complex spa swimming pool restaurant and some guest rooms and then top side there would be some rock climbing bungee jumping that kind of extreme sports sort of thing it was planning on opening in 2013 which looks unlikely as of right now but cnn reports that there are reports of initial construction having started um which is about as vague as i think it deserves to be well so. there's another one um did you hear about the hydropolis underwater hotel and resort i didn't but that's a really <clears throat> terrific word so this one was proposed back in 2006 again in dubai dubai is going to pop up a lot here yeah um so this one was proposed back in 2006 the projected cost at that time was either, depending upon the source you read, $300 million or 300 million pounds. That's a big difference. That is a really huge difference. Unfortunately, half the sources I looked at said one and the other half the sources said the other. And I think it all depended on whether or not the person was writing in the U.S. or in the U.K. So uh, I do not know which one of those figures is correct. I would imagine that both of them are way low yeah. the, from what it would actually cost. I also do want to take this opportunity to say that a lot of our research about these hotels has come from um, perhaps less reputable sources than we, we would u- usually use just because all of these are technically fictional right yeah, now. Yeah, they're just so, kind of ideas. Yeah. yeah. In fact, if you ever do a search for underwater hotels, you're going to come across all these top 10 lists or seven and lists or whatever. Wacky travel blogs and, and all kinds. And of. most of them are talking about them like these hotels are either in operation right now or are going to open really soon. But that does not appear to be the case. No. It looks more like these are great ideas that mayhaps are before their time. Um, but anyway, the, the Hydropolis was supposed to open years ago, and it has not opened yet. In fact, 
in fact, as far as I can tell, there's been no construction performed at all, um, or even plans for construction, like actual con- <laughs> concrete plans to build something. Uh, it's just been in the discussion stage. But originally, the idea is that it's supposed to have a land station. So you would enter this hotel through the land station. Uh, then there's a connecting tunnel from the land station to the main hotel. And then the suites of the hotel are all underwater. Uh, and that was uh, supposed to be 220 suites. This hotel is, if it were built, would be enormous. It'd be 260 hectares, which is about the size of Hyde Park in London. Wow. Yeah, big. Uh, one night stay was projected to be at a measly $5,500. Now, oh, pocket change. Yeah, I'm sure that that number has probably gone up as the hotel has failed to be built. But uh, <laughs> I would imagine that number is even higher now due to inflation, if nothing else. But then we've got another another Dubai one, right? The water discus. Right. And this is being designed by Deep Ocean Technology, which has plans to launch several of these suckers around the world, including one over in Maldives. Yep. Um, and yeah, this this plan is for 21 rooms under the surface, plus a lobby and a, and a scuba training pool. Yeah. Useful. This one uh, actually looks like, imagine two Frisbees. One of them's above the water and one of them's below the water. And they're connected by a, a tube. And the tube actually can, has inside of it an elevator and stairs. And then there's a few uh, kind of outlying disc UFO kind of looking things coming yeah. coming off of it as well. Yeah, occasionally they kidnap cows for no reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Like you do. You know, happens. Uh, supposedly, the the latest estimate I read was that it would be finished, if everything goes as planned, by March 2015. Hmm. So we still have a couple of years to go before this thing gets built, if it gets built. Keeping in mind that we have the Poseidon and the Hydropolis both that predate the announcement of this hotel that still have not been built. Right. Uh, this one, that underwater portion would also be surfaceable like, like those room pods from, from Poseidon, from the Poseidon and, uh, and those topside portions, the, the kind of outlying UFO things that I was talking about can be released and used as flotation for the rest of the hotel in case of emergency. Which is important. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you have an earthquake or something or tsunami or, or mm-hmm. some other, uh, issue when you're right next to the ocean. Yeah. Um, then there's also there's one that I saw where I found mentions of it across the web, except for anything that actually said it existed. There were a lot of blogs that said this is going to be an amazing underwater hotel. And then when I tried to actually find any real information about it, it would just fade away. Um, but it's called Reef World, and it's supposed to be a floating hotel that's along the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. And it would have eight underwater suites uh that you could stay in. So the suites themselves are submerged underwater. The rest of the hotel is sort of floating on the surface and even had like a helipad in the illustration I saw where a, a, a helicopter could land. Uh, but it was all artist concept drawings that I could see. I couldn't find any actual information about whether or not construction ever started. There is a reef world uh, project in Australia, but that refers to these pontoon boats that you can go out to to snorkel and to explore the Great Barrier Reef. And there are a couple where you can do an overnight stay as part of a package, but it's not... It's a boat. Yeah, it's a boat. It's not designed as a hotel. It's a boat It's not that, even a submarine. No. It, it does have it does have underwater viewing areas, kind of like a um, like a glass-bottom boat, mm-hmm. but it's not a submersible. So it's... And it's not... It's clearly not the same thing as what all these blogs were saying. Or if it is the same thing, they scaled down... Big time, because they went from this massive floating hotel with a helipad to a pontoon boat. That, I would say, 
is a step down into the water. Any, mm, yeah, mm. no, any, anything without a helipad is obviously. Yeah, I don't, immune. I don't stay in, I won't stay in the Holiday Inn unless it's got a helipad. No. Well, such, such is the life of a podcaster. Right. Yeah, I live in a helipad. That was a terrible joke. That was bad even for me. I feel almost ashamed. If I could feel shame, I would feel it right now. Well, you know, that's getting, do you have any other underwater hotels you wanted to talk about? I do not. That was everything on my yeah, list. Yeah, there's, there, occasionally you'll see other suggested underwater hotels, but most of the cases, it's not really an underwater hotel. And again, the ones I'm really interested in are these ideas of the, the submerged, the totally submerged hotel where you, you aren't just looking out into an aquarium or a lagoon. You really are under the ocean. I think that's really an interesting idea. I would be willing to try it. Uh, Lauren, you said that that doesn't really appeal to you. Yeah, I'm kind of squicked out by open water. I'm not really okay with it. Yeah. I, I really like breathing and I really like walking on solid stuff. It's, it's a. Well, they don't, they don't eject you into the ocean. <laughs> right? I, I think you might. Not on purpose. Well, no. I not mean, on purpose. I mean, accidents can happen. Sure. Right. You know, you get that champagne bottle in there and the cork explodes with just a little more force than you were expecting. And next thing you know, an acrylic panel pops in. That would be an issue. I'm, I'm sure, um, I'm sure that they, if, you know, the, the safety issues are why they do not exist right now. And that if they were created, that they would be very safe. I would certainly like to go check one out and maybe leave afterwards. <laughs> maybe not stay. I'm not sure if I could sleep. Right. Honestly. Right. So, uh, while I, I do still want to do the tech stuff travels around looking at cool things idea that we have, um, the underwater hotel, we may just, we may just breeze through. Have, yeah. have maybe have like a five star meal. Yeah, I would be fine with just a five star meal and then, there, and, and then, then leave. leaving. You know, yeah, that would be okay. We'll go stay at the Holiday Inn with the helipad. That works. Yeah. I can, I can deal with that. All right. Well, anyway, this wraps up our discussion about underwater hotels. It's one of those science fictiony ideas that I really do hope we see come to uh, to life in the near future. Uh, guys, if you have any suggestions for things that we should talk about in future episodes of Tech Stuff, let us know. Send us an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com. Or drop us a line on our social networking uh, sites. Actually, I guess they're not our sites. They're we not just ours. use them. We, yeah. we like to think of them as our own. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. You can find us there with the handle techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 